You're listening to Tech Tank, a bi-weekly podcast from the Brookings Institution, exploring the most consequential technology issues of our time. From racial bias and algorithms to the future of work, Tech Tank takes big ideas and makes them accessible. And the Clinton campaign is backing cybersecurity experts who say Russia likely stole the emails and gave them to WikiLeaks. The Hillary FBI Clinton. investigating accusations Vladimir Putin and the Russians were trying to sway the election. ABC's Today, Brian the director of national intelligence sent President Obama the report he ordered on the hacking of the Democratic National Committee. And James if you'll indulge me for a moment, try to remember 2016. From everything I see, has no respect for this person. Well, that's because he'd rather have a puppet as president no of the United States. No puppet. No puppet. It's pretty clear. You're the puppet. It's pretty clear. You, you know, personally, I think uh, the the idea that uh, you know fake news on Facebook, uh, of which you know it's a it's a very small amount of of, um, of the content. Uh, influence the, the election in any way, I think, is a, a pretty crazy idea, right? And it's... Um... Ultimately, Special Counsel Robert Mueller would conclude that the Russian government launched and directed a multi-pronged attack against the U.S. cyber infrastructure, fraying social ties and flaming social divisions to sway the election in favor of Donald Trump. But like the song goes, everything old is new again. So it's almost fitting that, just like Russia made headlines as Trump was coming into the Oval Office, the Kremlin found its way back to America's front pages as Trump was heading out the door. Sources telling ABC News the Russian government is behind it and that it's much worse than first thought. Reports say the security breach has struck at least seven government agencies and sources tell CBS News President Some Trump calling it the cyber warfare equivalent of Pearl Harbor, fearing it is perhaps the biggest attack on American infrastructure ever. At the end of 2020, reporting revealed the so-called SolarWinds hack. Russia had breached the cyber defenses of multiple agencies of the U.S. government, including the Departments of Justice, Energy, and Commerce. Or, to state it plainly, Russia broke into the infrastructure of America's law enforcement, economy, and nuclear arsenal. And the hack is still underway. But this isn't the only hack that Americans need to be wary of. The pandemic has also revealed the weakness of private business to protect against malware. Taking advantage of the security lapses exposed by the shift to telework, hackers have held whole companies hostage. Ransomware skyrocketed in 2020, the kind that can push people to their financial breaking point as they struggle to pay off the hackers. These are the kinds of hacks that the Biden administration will be forced to reckon with. Nation-state actors and lone wolf attackers are targeting Americans every day. The Biden administration will need a plan to combat cyber intrusions, and they'll need that plan as soon as possible. In this episode of Tech Tech, Daryl West speaks with Congressman Jim Langevin of Rhode Island on the Biden administration. Thanks for joining our Brookings Tech Tank podcast. I'm Daryl West, Vice President of Government Studies at the Brookings Institution and co-author with Brookings President John Allen of a book about AI entitled Turning Point, Policymaking in the Era of Artificial Intelligence. The United States recently was shocked when word of a major cyber hack hit the news. 
Software updates associated with a firm called SolarWinds was compromised and became a vehicle for unwanted intrusion into major American government agencies and businesses. Investigators still are analyzing the scope of the damage and what this hack means for cybersecurity risks in general. It is not clear how much information was compromised and what we need to do to guard against future attacks. To discuss these issues, we are pleased to be joined by Congressman Jim Langevin of Rhode Island. Congressman Langevin was elected to the U.S. House in 2000. Since then, he has become one of Congress's leading authorities on cybersecurity and homeland security. He is the co-founder and co-chairman of the Congressional Cybersecurity Caucus. He served eight years on the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. Now he is a senior member of the House Committee on Homeland Security and a member of the Subcommittee on Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Preparedness. He also serves on the House Armed Services Committee and chairs its Subcommittee on Intelligence and Emerging Threats and Capabilities. Congressman, welcome to our Brookings Tech Tank podcast. Good afternoon, Darrell. Great to be with you, and thanks for hosting today. So I want to start with the solar winds hack. What do we know about what happened, and what do you think is the scope of the damage? Unfortunately, this was a highly sophisticated, well-executed cyber intrusion, and we still don't know the, the full scope of the damage yet. But SolarWinds breach was basically a supply chain operation. Uh, SolarWinds sells network uh, management software that helps IT professionals to monitor and maintain computer networks. Uh, and although most people had never heard of the company, uh, it's widely used, uh, including in, in government networks. And so uh, a very sophisticated foreign actor managed to insert malicious software into a trusted software update. And, and this basically opened a back door for the attackers to move laterally in the networks once they were into access files and, and emails. And uh, once inside a, a network, the, the infiltration operation was uh, a very stealthy and labor intensive uh, part of the attacker. And uh, even though about uh, 18,000 SolarWinds customers had been exposed to the, the software updates over about a uh, three-month period. Uh, we think uh, now that uh, the number of actual networks breached is in the low hundreds, uh, but this does include government agencies, critical infrastructure companies, and, and cybersecurity companies. So the, the damage appears to be limited to the stealing of data but you know, as, as far as we know, uh, no networks or files were damaged or destroyed. Therefore, uh, we would at this point uh, regard this as espionage, an espionage operation, not an offensive cyber attack. Uh, but um, you know, certainly the, the attackers could have destroyed networks and data if they had wanted to, uh, and, and they might have planted malware that could damage or destroy systems later. So that's why I say we still don't know the full scope of the, 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 the damage that uh, that has been, you know, could be done in the future. But the, the hackers certainly used a high level of tradecraft and covered their tracks very well. Uh, therefore, you know, it's difficult to know exactly what information was stolen. Uh, the damage from uh, from espionage obviously is difficult to measure because it can can play out over years uh, in adversaries' uh, knowledge of the, the functioning and weaknesses uh, of our agencies, companies, and, and personnel. All that, of course, sounds very serious, and it has been widely reported that Russian agents were behind this hack. Is that your sense? And how do we know who is actually behind particular attacks whenever they occur? 
we do believe it's the it's the Russians, and you're right. I mean, cyber forensics is is very difficult, but we really we really have to get out of the mindset of, of thinking of just using cyber means to prove cyber bad actors. That, you know who's responsible. Uh, we really need to use all sorts of intelligence when it comes to uh, determining who the bad actors are. So yes, it, you know, it, attribution can be difficult in the cyber world. You know, however, you know we're we're getting better at it, and the the interagency has assessed that that Russian actors are the, the likely, cul likely culprits. So, uh, you know, we know that the operation required a high level of skill and tradecraft. It required a great deal of talent and human resources to pull off, and and really uh, only nation state actors can do this, uh, at least at this point. Uh, the motivation again appears to be intelligence gathering, not financial gain. Uh, these facts combined with the intelligence community's assessments means that uh, the incident uh, has all the, the the hallmarks of a Russian operation. So, uh, and we also learned Tuesday that uh, that President Biden raised the Solar Winds attack uh, in his uh, his first call with Vladimir Putin. And I think it's important that we confront. Uh, bad actors early once we you know we believe we have uh, the strong enough case to, to to do so and I'm glad President Biden uh, did that unlike President Trump who looked the other way and a lot of things that bad actions that the, the Russians had been involved with for whatever reason. So you mentioned the fact we do have a new administration. What are your expectations about the Biden administration specifically in terms of cybersecurity? What are his folks worried about? And what actions would you expect them to take in order to protect the homeland from digital threats? Well, I do believe and I know that uh, the, the administration, the Biden administration, is going to pay uh, a lot closer attention to the, the, the threats uh, from cyber that we, that we face. And it's going to put the right people and the right resources behind uh, better protecting the country in cyberspace. Uh, I'm I'm excited uh, that uh, for President Biden to hit the ground running. Uh, he's already named some terrific people uh, to his team, including Ann uh, Newberger uh, as the new Deputy National Security Advisor for Cyber. Uh, it's a first of its kind position. Uh, he also raised the issue uh, in the campaign and on uh, the first call uh, that he had with uh, with with uh, uh, Vladimir Putin, and uh, you know having. An engaged president is is essential, uh, and, and something you know uh, we saw the Obama administration do around uh, uh, the, the cybersecurity uh, national action plan, and particularly the Obama Xi agreement uh, with China. Uh, remember that whole uh, the China espionage uh, uh, actions that had gotten to a fever pitch and were going basically un unchallenged until President Obama stepped in and said, "We've had enough." Uh, and uh, that you know that that agreement basically it, it, you know it, it, um, it worked to address uh, uh, cyber-enabled uh, economic espionage and, and confronting that, dealing with it. So th there's a lot that the Biden administration team needs to do, but the, you know there are there are a couple of top recommendations for the first hundred days uh, from the uh, the white paper, the Salarian Commission that I was involved with. Uh, that sent the transition team, and um, we're hoping that he takes us up on those. I could go into those if you'd like, but uh, the Cyberslayer Commission uh, met uh, for about the past year. It was created in the NDAA, 
and uh, I was proud to be one of the four legislators on this 14-member commission. Yeah, I would like to follow up on that uh, because you uh, you were a member of this uh, key group, the Cyberspace Solarium Commission, and I know its report outlined uh, what it called a layered cyber defense with a number of different uh, components, and that would include naming a national cyber director in the White House, establishing permanent select committees on cybersecurity in the House and Senate, protecting critical infrastructure, and developing a new generation of cyber talent. Could you talk about these recommendations and why you think they are important? So uh, just to, for your, your listeners, the Cyber Slayer and Commission was created in the, uh, the uh, 2019 National Defense Authorization Act, and it was a 14-member commission, four legislators. Uh, we had members of the administration, including the uh, Deputy Secretary of Defense, the Director of the FBI, uh, represented from the Department of Homeland Security, and also the DNI. Also, we had people from uh, cyber experts from outside government, uh, including former Deputy Director of the uh, NSA, uh, Chris Inglis, was there, and former uh, Director of what is now uh, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency at, at Department of Homeland Security. Uh, uh, Suzanne Spaulding had that position uh, before it was called CISA, but which what is now CISA. So we met for about a uh, a year. Uh, we wound up our work and issued our final recommendations this past March. We had 80 recommendations. Um, uh, we turned those recommendations into 55 legislative proposals, and many of them were included in the National Defense Authorization Act. The first, one of the the most important ones, and uh, that we worked on is the uh, appointment of a strong national cyber director and the resources for that office. There's one thing that we've been missing in this whole effort is a quarterback, right? It's someone that, uh, a, a director with policy and budgetary authority to be able to reach across government and compel departments and agencies to close uh, their their cyber vulnerabilities. Think of OPM, Office of Personnel Management. There's a, there's a, uh, a department that clearly did not understand the value of the data they were charged with protecting, they had an old antiquated IT system, even though they had been warned that they needed to replace it, upgrade it, uh, and, and be able to strengthen its security. Uh, they, it basically went ignored for the longest time because the, the problem is for the different departments and agencies, cyber is never going to be their primary mission, right? Think Department of Commerce, uh, Department of Agriculture, Department of State. Uh, they have their other primary focus missions and cyber is just never gonna be the, the, the primary focus. You need someone in charge that can reach across department and, and, and agencies, identify cyber vulnerabilities, and and compel their their that they be addressed. So we want to prevent the next OPM attack from ever happening. And now with the new national cyber director, uh, we will. This this was uh, that position was enacted in the uh, the NDAA. This uh, this that got approved uh, by overriding President Trump's veto uh, on uh, January first and the. Finally, in the, in the Senate, it was the final step, and it, it got enacted into law. Um, the second, uh, uh, one of the biggest ones is the uh, uh, leveraging authorities to strengthen CISA, including establishing a joint cyber planning office and an integrated cyber center, uh, and also allow um, CISA now to do threat hunting on other uh, entities' networks, uh, other departments and agencies' networks. You know, most people may not realize that in government right now, uh, departments and agencies uh, up until recently now were responsible for their own cybersecurity. And CISA was only a, a invited, it was only allowed on their networks if they were invited in. However, 
if you invited CISA in and they found stuff, that might make the agency look bad. So guess what? Departments and agencies didn't invite CISA in. And they basically stuck their head in the sand and basically hope these cyber problems are going to go away. Well, that's not how we're going to strengthen our, our nation's cyber defenses and cybersecurity. So now within the NDAA, that has changed. Now CISA can do threat hunting on, on other government networks uh, based on uh, good intelligence or, or be able to follow the facts where they lead and be able to, to do threat hunting on these networks. Um, the, uh, the third I've mentioned is uh, uh, refreshing the uh, PPD 21 executive order, laying out critical infrastructure sectors and their government partners in line with uh, congressional requirements to designate sector risk management agencies. And then the last thing I'm excited about, and hopefully the, the president uh, will, uh, will work to do is um, to re-empower the State Department in a manner consistent with the Cyber Diplomacy Act, which is something we've, we've called for and uh, it's one of the findings in the, um, in the Solarium Commission report. You mentioned needing a new quarterback, and I know you're located in Rhode Island. There for a minute, I thought you were talking about the New England Patriots because they need a quarterback too. But I guess that, that's a side uh, issue. We, 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 we do. It's a sore subject, yeah. Uh, we hated to see Tom Brady go, but uh, uh, we're in a building year, and it's it's got to get better from here. This this uh, this season just wasn't it for us, but you know we've we've been uh, we've had a good for a pretty long time. So hoping next year we'll be better. I, I full have full confidence in Coach Coach Belichick. Definitely, it's been a good uh, twenty years for that team. Now, one of the other recommendations that came out of that uh, commission was developing a new generation of cyber talent. What, what do you think we need to do in that area, and what kind of support or recommendations did the commission make? Yeah, so definitely growing the uh, the, the cyber workforce is is going to be essential going forward, uh, and and it can't be just government. Uh, you're competing for a bigger slice of the pie. We really do need to grow the size of the pie itself. You know, the the, the Microsofts and Googles of the world are still going to need uh, cyber talent. Again, we don't want to just be competing with trying to steal from the private sector. Uh, we need to grow the pie itself. So uh, we obviously, um, academia needs to catch up with uh, with the needs of the the real world, and they are. Uh, so it started out with things like uh, cyber certificate programs or master's degree programs. Then we had uh, now cyber minors and, and now cyber majors. Give a lot of credit to the Naval Academy. They were one of, if not the first, uh, academic institutions in the country to create a cybersecurity major. Uh, by the way, um, uh, Chris Inglis, one of our Cyber Solarium Commission members, basically was the chief architect of creating that cybersecurity major at the, at the Naval Academy. Uh, but we also need to do things like um, uh, strengthen and grow the Cyber Core program. So Cyber Core is a scholarship for service program, and uh, for those that are accepted, if a college or university has a cyber, is designated as a cyber center of excellence, uh, students can apply. And if they're accepted, uh, the, basically the program pays for the junior and senior year of college. Uh, gives them a stipend of $22,500 a year while they're in the program. And then when they graduate, they agree to go into a cybersecurity position at the local, state, or federal level uh, for two years uh, as a way of giving back. Obviously, they paid a salary for, you know, for, uh, for whatever job they're, they're, they're chosen for, but it's the way they pay back. And it, again, it grows our, 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 cyber, our cyber talent. So excited about that. And, and there, are, there are many other things that we, we need to uh, 
that we need to do. But growing the cyber workforce is going to be essential going forward. We can have all the great policies in the world, but if we don't have the people to execute the policies, we're, we're behind the eight ball. That sounds like a great opportunities for uh, young people. So those who are interested in new types of jobs, uh, cybersecurity definitely is a, a growth area. So let's talk a little bit about the federal government. Do the relevant federal departments and agencies have the staffing and resources they need to protect the country? Are there additional things these agencies require? I'm not a lawyer, but uh, I'm, I'm uh, afraid I have a, uh, a lawyer answer for you, and it really it's it's kind of it depends. Uh, for instance, uh, I've uh, relatively high confidence in the DoD and NSA's ability to protect the .dot mil uh, network. Uh, I don't though have a lot of confidence that many agencies where cybersecurity is not uh, the main mission uh, have learned the lesson of OPM. So you know th there's a bunch of problems at play here. Uh, you know we have a, an office uh, of management and budget problem since cyber is really viewed as a mission critical uh, issue and uh, OMB uh, does not uh, uh, ding agencies for woefully inefficient cyber budgets. Hopefully, the, of course, the National Cyber Director will help with this. Um, we have a responsibility problem. Uh, the, the agency with the, the most capability on the uh, domestic side, uh, CISA, uh, only got the authority to, to go on its sister agency networks uh, with this NDAA, as I mentioned previously. Uh, and uh, you know, we now, though, have to uh, resource CISA to use these capabilities. And, um, you know, and also we have a, we have a, a coordination problem. Uh, maturity across the different critical infrastructure sectors varies widely. And, uh, and we have uh, the, the, the sector risk management agency language in the NDAA, and, and we really need to work on, on resourcing programs to support uh, our critical infrastructure uh, partners. So um, that's, you know, I'll, I'll pause there, but those are some of my, my observations of, of what we need to do, and what the needs are for, for agencies and, and staffing and resources. All that uh, definitely makes sense. And it, it sounds like the defense-related departments have made uh, progress and are moving forward. I guess I personally worry about some of the domestic agencies because there are a lot of critical functions and critical infrastructure, like the Department of Transportation kind of oversees autonomous vehicles. Uh, so that is becoming a critical infrastructure as that technology develops. Uh, hospitals and healthcare is a, a major uh, challenge, especially during a, a pandemic. The energy uh, area and the power plants around the country. So I guess I wonder, what is the status on the domestic uh, side uh, in terms of coordination, resources, and capabilities? So it, you know, in terms of uh, what they, uh, you know, what they're doing. Well, um, if they're doing enough, the answer is no. Uh, you know, clearly need, more needs to be done. You know, in addition to the coordination problem, we have an uh, and uh, understanding risk is is critical infrastructure sectors uh, that you know we have uh, we have uh, trouble uh, assigning responsibility for protecting them. Uh, everyone agrees that the power plant, for example, has some responsibility to protect itself. Similarly, no one can expect the, the, the same power plant to protect itself from sophisticated uh, Russian or Chinese actors, though, right? And so assigning the responsibility is, is, is incredibly tough. And on the government side, we have the further complication of understanding what uh, we need to require of companies and, and what uh, we need to do ourselves. So, you know, where we need to start, I think, is that is is what the Solarium uh, Commission 
uh, called systemically important uh, critical infrastructure, or we call SICI for for for, for short as an acronym. Uh, but you know, these are the companies controlling the assets uh, that support uh, the national critical functions. Uh, as Chris Inglis likes to say, uh, we need a new social contract for these companies where we expect more of them, but also in turn, we have to provide them with more resources to protect themselves. Um, and so it, it, that collaboration and information sharing and giving context uh, is is really important. So we we called for in the Sullivan Commission creating a joint collaborative environment. Uh, that's important. Uh, but um, it, it's also important we do more with what Solarium calls uh, cybersecurity enablers. So these are the the ISPs, the the, the cloud service providers, and and cybersecurity firms that are uh, a very uh, high leverage. Uh, and when it comes to they have they have they have very high leverage when it comes to helping uh, the ecosystem. So you know, solar winds uh, really has shined the spotlight. Uh, the need for government to have a different relationship with information and communications technology companies. Uh, but, you know, we also need to do a better job of leveraging their capabilities, including uh, by encouraging state and local governments to modernize their, their IT and move ahead uh, and, and move to the cloud. Uh, let, let government do what it does in providing services. But in terms of uh, providing security for their data, Cloud service provides let them provide the security and the the, the benefits of of uh, data storage in the cloud that we can governments can ramp up soon uh, you know and, and add capacity when they need to. For example, we found that you know it's such a short uh, shortage of uh, um, a lot of the failures of of modernizing were apparent when we needed to surge and providing, uh, say, unemployment benefits for people as a result of the coronavirus situation that where so many people were uh, became unemployed through no fault of their own. So, but but I, I do want to ask you about the private sector. Do you think businesses are doing enough to safeguard their IT systems? And what advice do you give company executives on how to handle cybersecurity threats? Yeah, so some businesses are, are very diligent in taking cybersecurity very seriously. But others are, are certainly, you know, way behind. Uh, by and large, uh, I, I'd identify the financial sector as doing a great job at, at everyday cyber defenses and strengthens defenses, because money motivates criminal enterprises, right? And and you know we uh, uh, we, we still need to be concerned about uh, the systemic disruptions in the financial system. If the the internet internet goes down for a week, uh, is everything frozen or you know? Can you you still conduct major critical transactions? Uh, if your data servers are destroyed, do you you know have uh, tape uh, backups? Uh, other industries have have treated cybercrime and disruption as an annoyance or, or as part of the cost of doing business, and this is really not acceptable in in, in today's world. So you know, there there are certainly many basic blocking and tackling steps that every business should be doing, uh, and you know I, I've often said. Everybody uh, needs to understand that we have a role to play in, in strengthening cybersecurity uh, by practicing good cyber hygiene. And uh, I, I've often said we need a Smokey the Bear campaign for, for cyber. Only, only you can prevent cyber intrusions. Uh, and so um, doing things like uh, making sure your software is up to date, uh, mandate things like two-factor authentication, train your employees to recognize phishing, uh, don't click on malicious uh, links. 
uh, attachments. Uh, don't leave your network ports open unnecessarily. Uh, contract with cybersecurity services to perform penetration testing. You know, these are uh, these are things your your cybersecurity team team uh, should be doing already. But if a company doesn't have a a cybersecurity team, then they should be asking why not, and and how are they either doing defending against uh, cyber threats. So every board of directors and and CEO certainly needs to be thinking strategically about cyber threats as as part of their their fiduciary duties. That all sounds like uh, terrific advice for uh, companies. Now, I know you chair the Subcommittee on Intelligence and Emerging Threats. What are the top emerging threats that you worry about? Well, I basically worry about uh, three categories of threat. Um, first, uh, I worry about great power competition in cyberspace. Uh, you know, the United States and the Western world see great value and benefit in an open internet governed by not only standards and regulations, but also norms uh, of behavior. Uh, foreign adversaries like Russia and China are, are intent uh, on raising their power and influence, uh, not uh, uh, by uh, rising to our aspirations, but by, by diminishing us. And so they're trying to gain every advantage that they can through uh, cyber intrusions and attacks uh, through the internet. Since we are so dependent on it, we make the most use of it. Um, and so, you know, in in engaging in this in this domain, uh, you know, in uh, kind of below the level of thresh, threshold of armed conflict, they recognize that uh, engages in conflict directly is not uh, in their interests. Uh, so instead, they focus on the gray zone of conflict below the level of war, where cyber happens to be the perfect tool. And they have maximized that. They are doing it every day. And Solar Winds was a, a perfect example, um, uh, unfortunately. Uh, second, I, I worry about criminal syndicates. So these are players with the means and the motivation to steal, damage, and destroy for financial gain. So I would put North Korea in, in this category, although some uh, of their motivations are political as well. Uh, criminal syndicates are um, responsible for so much cyber crime. And they conduct uh, widespread campaigns that extort money from school systems, hospital systems, businesses, individuals, uh, and they maintain a black market uh, of cyber tools uh, that they uh, make available uh, to small-time operators. And and so cybercrime is, of course, is very um, difficult to defend against because there are are so many criminals, and 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 that's being that's because it's it's profitable. So we. We need to build in uh, resilience. That's like you know, backing up your computer system. So if, if you're you get hit with a ransomware attack, if you back up your system, you can tell the 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 the, uh, the criminals there that locked up your system to go pound sand, and you can reconstitute because you you backed up your your system. Hopefully that 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 works. Um, but finally, you just say that the, the third, you know, I worry about information operations, and this is really important. We can't underestimate the the threat that this is. Um, a democracy only works uh, through the, the, the consent and goodwill of the people. And the internet the era has brought us not just technical cyber warfare, but information warfare. So deliberate disinformation campaigns have sown deep division in our own, in our, in our beliefs, in our understandings 
about uh, even very basic facts. And this leads to even honest and well-meaning people to spread misinformation that splits our, our country apart. And, and disinformation, of course, has, has created widespread distrust about our elections, which is really sad and, and very troubling, which you know, we've seen bring it brings dysfunction and chaos and misinformation uh, about vaccines, of course, is spreading wildly right now on social media and threatening our ability to fight the coronavirus. So, um, you know, uh, on, on January 6th, Donald Trump said, you know, if you don't march down to the, the Capitol and stop the certification of the election, you won't have a country. Uh, we saw what that led to. And, and I say if we uh, don't bring our citizens back to shared common reality, uh, we may not have a country. And I'm, I'm really troubled about where this goes next. I couldn't agree more with that. Certainly, uh, I too worry about our national divisions and uh, the various problems of misinformation that uh, you just uh, mentioned. How should the United States protect itself against future hacks? And do we need any new legislation? So um, I guess there's no simple answer to that. Uh, we, we have to really do many things. I have the Again, I had the privilege of serving on the Cyberspace Labor Commission, whose purpose is to, to lay the strategic foundation for achieving long-term uh, security in cyberspace. Uh, protecting our mission was to to protect the the country against cyber uh, attacks of, of significant consequence. But you know, I, I think our strategic vision of layered cyber deterrence is is the place to to start. Uh, we need to shape our adversaries' behavior. By, uh, by behaving in a manner consistent with the norms we espouse and acting in concert with our allies against countries that violate those norms. And we need to do so much more quickly. You know, waiting a year or more to attribute an attack uh, and then responding to that is not acting with the speed of rebel, rebel, uh, relevance. And, and so we need to be, be able to act uh, more effectively, efficiently when, when things happen. We also need to preserve our ability to impose costs, including uh, through the use of military measures, sanctions, or, or more traditional diplomatic means. We should be thinking of it not in terms of just cyber on cyber, but using all assets of national power to respond in a time manner of, 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 our, of, our, of our choosing. Um, and most importantly, though, we need to improve our resilience. Uh, for the first time in our nation's history, uh, we uh, are regularly held at risk despite the two oceans and two friendly neighbors that, that border us. Without improving our resilience, working closely with our, our private sector partners, we're doomed to failure. And I don't want to see that. At the end of the day, you know, it comes down to taking a whole-of-nation approach. Uh, we cannot shuffle cybersecurity off uh, to just one agency uh, in, in the government or one department uh, in our organizations. It's something that all of us have to be aware of and make part of the way uh, we, we organize our, our activities. We've talked about the role of government and the role of business. What can ordinary people do to protect their own computers and their online activities? Right. We really do need a Smokey the Bear campaign for cybersecurity. Only, only you can prevent cyber intrusion. So I guess I'd say I can offer some tips, but, you know, um, you know, first we say, even if you don't uh, write down uh, these tips or if you forget them, uh, you know, you, you're, you have a no excuse. You just, you know, you just go to your, your browser and type in uh, personal cybersecurity best practices uh, or, or something close to that. And you're going to get a list of best practices. 
So here are some of the most important measures that, uh, that you'll find. Keep your software up, up to date. Uh, you know, think about this. The reason why you update software, uh, you update your, your, your software with closing security patches, uh, closing security vulnerabilities is because cyber experts have found basically open windows, open doors, and problems where you know, uh, people can come in. If you, know, if, you, if you had your doors and windows open and your neighbor said, hey, you know, there's a plan to keep your house more secure, close and lock your windows, I mean, it's pretty common sense. Uh, so apply your software uh, updates when, when they're, as soon as they're offered. Um, use strong passwords and use different passwords for, for every site. That means you know, you're probably going to want to use a password uh, manager app. Uh, or, or at the very least, write it down in a you know a book that you ha you have, uh, but you know, not in a, in a place that's easily accessible. Um, use multi-factor authentication. Uh, that's a big one. You know, when you when you whenever you log on to your bank, if you've enabled uh, multi-factor uh, authentication, your bank is going to send you a code to your phone that you then have to put in, and they that way it's a, another way of verifying that it's you, and uh, and and prevents bad actors from getting in. Uh, next, learn about how phishing scams trick you uh, into uh, uh, account data and, and personal information, getting your account data and, and personal information. And then uh, also review your accounts and credit reports for incorrect changes in activity. Um, I, I also am a big advocate of freezing your credit. Uh, it's pretty easy to unlock your credit uh, if, you, if you want to, but that's another way that it'll, it'll protect. Uh, your, your 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 accounts and your your credit, uh, but um, you know I know that's already too uh, too many things to remember. So the real answer is you know don't ignore the problem, uh, go do your homework and uh, don't procrastinate. Great advice there, uh, Congressman, and I uh, agree. The phishing attacks do seem to be getting better, so people do need to be very vigilant on that front. So I want to thank Congressman Jim Langevin for sharing his thoughts with us about cybersecurity. At Brookings, we write regularly on a wide range of topics related to cybersecurity and digital technology. You can find more information on our Brookings Tech Tank blog located at brookings.edu. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to Tech Tank, a series of roundtable discussions and interviews with technology experts and policymakers. For more conversations like this, subscribe to the podcast and sign up to receive the Tech Tank newsletter for more research and analysis from the Center for Technology Innovation at Brookings.